Hello and welcome back. My name is Luke and you're listening to another episode of the Next Stage Podcast. Blockchain technology promises more control over personal data for internet users. They could sell this data to advertisers, choosing what ads they're exposed to and what companies track their browsing habits while pocketing some cash in the process. How good is this for the online advertising industry who rely on data harvesting to target potential customers? As Brittany Kaiser, founder of Own Your Data points out, You may think an ad is being looked at by a human, but it could be a click fraud. That Facebook user might be a bot. In the first quarter of 2022 alone, according to Brittany, Meta removed 1.6 billion fake accounts. Blockchain is being touted as a mutually beneficial solution for end users and advertisers. Keep listening to find out why. Transparency has been an issue in this industry for years and years. But most recently, I mean, thinking back to the agency rebate scandals that happened in 2016 and 2017, um, trust became a really big topic of conversation in the industry. And most recently, um, we've learned that Elon Musk is sort of uh, considering the impact of bots on Twitter. And the idea is that if Twitter has more bots than anyone thinks, then the company is not worth as much. And so it makes you really think about the cost of our attention and how that can really be intimately intertwined with uh, the value of a large tech platform. Um, So Brittany, we'll kick off with you because you know a lot about this. Um, So I would love to hear more from you about how some of these issues with ad fraud and bots are really impacting the ecosystem at large. Absolutely, and so when we're talking about the advertising industry, the entire point of paying for advertising is to put your content in front of human beings who might buy the thing that you are advertising. So when your content that you are paying for as a company is actually just going to fake accounts that are being clicked on by bot farms, then you are wasting your money and you are not making any sales. Uh, Unfortunately, that is a large part of Facebook's business model, and we're about to find out how big of a part of Twitter's business model it is. There is a reason why a lot of the biggest social media platforms do not KYC AML, aka identity check, all of the people that come onto the platform because it is so easy to create fake accounts and then to have them run by these click or bot farms, right? And so that's a problem for many reasons, not just for the advertising industry, but for elections intervention, for disinformation campaigns, for the types of cyberbullying that a lot of people are dealing with around the world from different groups. And so when we're thinking about how we actually solve this problem, I think one of the interesting things that's going on in uh, all over front page news today is that Elon Musk is about to try to buy Twitter and take it private, and so he's undergoing this audit process of finding out how many fake accounts there actually are on Twitter. When Twitter started to make the deal, they said it was 5%. It's been estimated by researchers that on Facebook it's over 50%, so if it's only 5% on Twitter, I would be shocked. But Elon is about to find out and therefore try to negotiate a better deal should too many of those accounts be fake. So I'm really excited actually about what Carolina is doing and what's going on at NIAX because it is so important for us to have transparency in these systems. And it's not just so that advertisers can make more money. It's so that we can actually have a safer online digital life. 
So in this circumstance, we're about to find out what our attention is really worth. <laughs> exactly. So we're here to talk about blockchain as a potential solution to this problem. Um, I think that there have been a lot of buzzwords in the industry, like crypto and Web3. I think that there's still sort of this information gap around blockchain as a concept, um, and especially how it relates to advertising. So Carolina, can you talk us through how some of this works on the back end? Well, listen, uh, on my, with my company, we use blockchain as a single source of truth both the advertisers and the publishers. And that's also with the SSPs, which are the supply side platforms, and the DSPs, the demand side platforms. And these are terms that you'll always hear about the programmatic industry, and it's worth 86% of our industry right now. But blockchain can be revolutionary. And I think right now, there's another conference going on in Cannes, France, where um, a lot of people are talking about just that, the Web 3.0, and also blockchain. So every one of the large agencies are now taking to heart that they have to find out how they can have, ab not absolute transparency, but as much transparency as can be given to the individuals and also to the advertisers who they are a proxy for. And we hope that that can create a better ecosystem for all of us. So we talked a little bit about ad fraud as a concept and I'd really like to understand how um, measurement and reconciliation has operated in uh, ad buying up until this point. You mean even now? Even now. Um, how it works. So 33% is the number that they throw out there about ad fraud. That's a lot, okay? And this is on paid media. So that's what we're talking about. Um, right now there's many certifiers out there. There's IAS, there's Double Verify, there's Moat, there's Human, the former White Ops, and there's several others that are out there. Um, what they do is they look at your brand safety measurement. They look at also the viewability measurement, and they look at the fraud, whether it's a bot or not. Now, advertisers through their agencies say which one they want to use because they cannot mix and match. The templates of one of these companies is not going to match with the template of another. So if one is better in fraud, which I believe human is, um, they're fantastic at it, cannot be easily mixed and matched with IS, who does a fantastic job as well. So you have to pick and choose one. But that is not getting down and deep to really see if these are inauthentic accounts or anything else. So we're hopefully going to move into a much better measurement system and maybe with these current certifiers that exist because they have a lot of technology, they have a lot of know-how, and they can give a lot to the ecosystem. So you talked us through how it works on the back end. Can you give us an anecdotal example of what that transaction might look like between advertiser and publisher? But we're talking about from the ops people inside an agency. So when they're going to get an ad inside of there and they're saying that somebody has paid for this, so let's just say it's L'Oreal, I'm going to make up the um, agency that uses L'Oreal, and if it is the right one, please forgive me. Uh, I'm just using that. So L'Oreal's the advertiser. It could be Dentsu, and Dentsu's contracting with several various um, SSPs and they may do what is known as a PMP, which is, a, a, which is actually a private ma marketplace, and they may go to several publishers through that SSP. 
Um, and then when they get it back on this, from the PMP you can do a rationalization with how much should be viewable, how much is going to match it. But if you're doing programmatic, it's very, very difficult to do the audit process. So whatever the SSP brings back in this PMP, this private marketplace on groupings of publications, that is what's going to be paid to the publisher. It doesn't matter about uh, the individual. The individual is not paid in this, in this instance. It's going to be the publisher that's paid. So you're talking about this really airtight way of tracking transactions. Yes. Um, so this is a question for you, Brittany, but how does privacy fit in there? Um, how does this create a fair and more equitable and open environment for consumers? So the way that uh, legacy technologies work, and I like to call it legacy technology, big tech, web two, whatever you want to say, because I don't believe it's the way that technology architecture is going to be in the future. Uh, very soon, and even now, all of this is changing. But the way that legacy technology works is that individuals have no rights to our data. We don't own any of our data. Our data is purchased and licensed and gathered without our explicit consent by companies all over the world. And then models are built off of that to predict our behavior. And so the base data, so the raw data sets on ourselves, as well as the model data, is what most advertisers are using in order to decide what content to target us with. The way that Web3 or cryptography and blockchain-enabled digital identity-enabled systems will work is that we actually own all of our data. We use a digital identity or a digital wallet that contains all of our data. And we can decide to license or share anonymized, secure, private data sets with any company or organization around the world and do that through smart contracts. So what a smart contract means is that I'm able to say who I'm happy to share my data with for what purposes, for how long, and if it is to be monetized, what I want for that, what percentage of the revenue belongs to me. And then advertisers can use my data, and they can also verify that they are using my data to show me content, and that it's actually going to me as a person. So in order to enable my privacy, none of these advertisers ever get access to my sensitive data, like my name and my address and my live location, et cetera, and so forth. So I'm actually able to protect my own privacy and safety and choose my own digital experience and what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I think that one thing I want to make sure that we get at is sort of the so what. Like, I think that we've talked about how what's at risk is this incredible cost to advertisers, you know, a big waste. Um, but. What could possibly be at risk to us as consumers and even as a society if this kind of technology or this kind of openness is not adopted? Uh, I would say that we will continue living in this kind of surf-like system where we are serving companies as opposed to companies serving their customers and their users and their clients, which is the way that it should be. So. Right now, we're stuck in this system where we are constantly being used and taken advantage of, and it's a top-down system where all of our value, our data, our digital assets, the most valuable asset on Earth that has surpassed oil and gas in its value, 
is being taken from us without our explicit consent and monetized only at the top. So most of the biggest companies around the world that are worth trillions of dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars are that valuable because they own all of the value of our personal data. When we move from Web 2 to Web 3, from a renter to owner model, we own our data, and then the companies that are licensing or using it in order to monetize things, they pay us a portion of the revenue. So all of a sudden, everyone on Earth, their data is valuable enough where we can at least buy our groceries based off of the data that is being used every day, the data that we are producing every day. And given that we are in a situation where hundreds of millions of people around the world are at risk of starvation, this is absolutely revolutionary and world-changing that in our phone we can collect enough money to go scan at the grocery store and buy enough food to take care of our basic human rights, feed ourselves and our families. So it sounds like there's a very real danger that can be realized um, if there's not change implemented soon. So in your book, you talk about how Alexander Nix, um, former CEO of Cambridge Analytica, described the United States as a wild, wild west of data. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about that and if things are starting to change and go in a more positive direction? Well, I'll first say that I am an eternal optimist, otherwise I couldn't be an activist and an advocate for data protection and privacy and blockchain technologies and their implementation in order to protect us. But I really think that we're moving away from the wild west of data, as Alexander Nix used to call it, because even though we still don't have national uh, privacy and data protection legislation in the United States, we are starting to see big states like California, Virginia, now the state of New York, starting to either write or pass large-scale data protection legislation, which wasn't the case when Alexander used to say that. So it used to be that in the United States, you could do absolutely anything with data at any time. You could purchase or license the data of Americans from anywhere in the world. So whether you are an American company or you're a Kremlin-backed hacker group, you can just have the data of Americans and do anything you want with it. And there's absolutely no accountability there whatsoever, which was one of the main issues in the 2016 elections and continues to be, especially now that we're dealing with the war in Ukraine. So when we're, we're starting to really think about like how, how we're making change on this, we, we, really need to, we really need to think about the implementations of this from a legislative and regulatory perspective on an education and awareness perspective, but of course, the new technologies that we're implementing, which is why I think what NIAX is doing is so important and what so many companies in this space that are utilizing decentralized ledger technologies, advanced encryptions, blockchains, in order to change this, it's really going to make a huge impact. So Carolina, can you talk us through NIAX's approach to that? Um, it strikes me that for as beneficial as this is right now, these laws are still on a state-by-state -state basis, which causes a tremendous amount of confusion and chaos. Um, so I'm just curious to get your thoughts there. Okay, well, the first thing is we want a preemptive, uh, we want to have a federal law that's preemptive. One law for everybody in the, in the U.S. We do. And we want it to amalgamate with GDPR and other laws. It's easier for the advertiser. It's easier to create a system that's compliant. And yes, we want the ethical use of data. And these have to be things that are brought down by the organizations, 
the legislative branch and people working together on this technology. How we deal with blockchain is we use it as a centralized ledger. So we, we work with all of the data providers, we do the reconciliation, we work with smart contracts, and we allow for the contract management of any insertion order or the quasi-insertion orders from programmatic. But this is a larger discussion on this. The fact is, can this approach be used for everybody in the industry? I think yes. Mm -hmm. The problem is, we have to sit down at a table, and smart contracts have to be the same for me as it will be for um, Trade Desk, for Google, and for others. Because if we don't create a common language that we're utilizing, we're going to have these bottlenecks. It's not going to be transposable. In this industry, transposability is very important. Because when you set a bid out, and a bid is then an advertisement is shown in 40 milliseconds. This is fast, OK? And the intents are faster than the trading systems of most of the NASDAQ, of the New York Stock Exchange. And that is fast. You, we need to all work together to understand how to create that. What does the legislators want? what does the industry and what the needs are, and can blockchain be used? There's ideas that the speed is not there, but there's ways to make the speed happen faster. There's a way to utilize it at centralized hubs. And people can have their data on rails, and they can come out with wallets. But, you know, it's not for me to say, it's for us to work all together to make that. Because the ethical use of data has to be every one of you people having a voice. And if you don't, then somebody's going to decide for you. Okay, so I'm, I have one more question for you guys that we're going to end on. And it's, imagine that all of this comes to fruition. Everything we're talking about, blockchain becomes more widely adopted in space. Um, what's at stake to large platforms like Google and Facebook and does blockchain have the power to eventually cripple or dismantle the duopoly? Oh, that's, that's a really hard question because Google has, Google has multiple patents in blockchain. And I've been following their patents for a very long per period of time. And they're very elegant. Uh, they're very elegant. And it's not just them. There's other people that are in this industry. You didn't mention uh, Microsoft. They bought Xander. Okay, and Xander's fully implemented now. I mean, Apple has many uh, patents in this industry. And they're all using cloud-based technology. Where do you think all of this is going? So if you really, really want to break out this duopoly, triopoly, because remember, Amazon has a lot yeah. of patents as well, and they're a very big advertiser. And there has to be industry groups. There has to be consensus from governments. There has to be people talking about it. They have to be working with nonprofit groups on what is the ethical use of data for the individuals. I like saying that because Sheila Klokasher from uh, IPG has hammered that into my mind, that there should be an ethical use of data, how it's going to be used, how it's going to be um, respect the individual. And I'm sorry. Please get the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what, what I really think is that, obviously, I, 
although I do a lot of advocacy work and testify against some of these people, I, I'm not a hashtag delete Facebook person. I do believe that Facebook and Google can even greatly enhance their business models with the implementation of blockchain technologies, and they are doing that. But it's going to be up to the consumer to decide which type of metaverses or NFT platforms or blockchain platforms that they actually decide to use. For instance, in Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, 47.5% of your revenue belongs to him. Whereas most other metaverse platforms take a tiny fraction of a percent or at the most two or two and a half percent of all of your work, all of the digital assets and the content and the value that you produce. So if you want 2% commissions or less, or if you want 47.5% going to Mark Zuckerberg, it's your choice, build where you want. Lots to think about. Um, thank you both so much. It's been really a pleasure to chat with you and we'll wrap up there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. So until next week, see you then.